the Great British Manufacturing Podcast, brought to you by MTV, MFG and Jefferson. Hello and welcome to the Great British Manufacturing Podcast. Coming up in this week's show, we've got investment news from Gordon Murray Group, news from packaging specialist D.S. Smith, and a huge 800 million contract win for West Midlands-based company. All of that and a whole lot more. The highlight of this week's show is our very special guest, who is no other than Peter Walton, the chairman of British Vault. My name is Joe Reynolds, and joining me this week is my co-host, Stuart Whitehead. Stu, I cannot wait for this week's guest, but first, how are things with you? All good, thanks, Joe. Morning, everyone. Fascinating stories this week and a great guest. Absolutely. Let's jump straight in. Gordon Murray Group, they've announced 300 investment programme. Uh, all car enthusiasts will know Gordon Murray for his time at McLaren, but his new venture is uh, planning to launch the T50 uh, supercar. Absolutely. Huge investment announced by the supercar manufacturer led by the legendary F1 car designer Gordon Murray. Part of the investment is set to be a renewed focus on developing electric vehicles, expanding its design business. The firm is also set to establish an R&D facility to further progress weight and complexity reduction of both vehicle architectures and manufacturing processes. An additional facility in Surrey is being planned to manufacture super light frames that manufactures vehicle programs. And as you mentioned, the T50 supercar is under development, remains on track, and the firm is now conducting prototype testing. Production will start next year at a new facility in Surrey. And the group is also set to build a new £50 million technology campus in Global HQ in Windlesham, Surrey. Construction will start in July and the first facilities will be ready next year with the entire project completed in 2024. So huge amount of work in development and investment going on by Gordon Murray. Yeah, did you manage to get your name on one of the first ones, one of the T50s? When, when, when's it arriving? Still saving up, Joe, but if anyone gets one, I'm quite happy to wash it for them. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, at the beginning of the show, I talked about a huge 800 million contract win. Uh, and pleased to report, Telford-based RBSL, they've been awarded 800 million uh, British Army tank contract. That's something else for the area. Fantastic news for the region. And this, as you said, this contract is to upgrade 148 British Armour Challenger 3 main battle tanks. 450 jobs will be created and sustained within the UK supply chain. Further 200 jobs will be created and sustained within RBSL itself including 130 engineers and 70 technicians. And good news for STEM engagement and the next generation. The contract will also provide work and training opportunities for 60 apprentices over the next five years. This contract will be led out of Arbicel's Telford factory, where the firm has recently invested £20 million upgrading the site. Engineering support will come from heavy armour specialists based in Telford and other sites in Washington and Bristol. The programme commenced next year with an expected in-service date of 2027. Yeah, it's, it's marvellous news. Uh, much needed in the Telford area. And yeah, and like you say, your STEM and your, your apprentices, fantastic news all around. But we'll, we'll pause with the positive news there. There's more coming up later in the show. But at this stage, I'd like to introduce this week's special guest. It's Peter Walton, the chairman of British Vault. Peter, welcome to the show. Yes, good morning. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Just to start with, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background and an overview of British Vault? So I'm Peter Rolton. I'm, I'm chairman of British Vault and also uh, UK CEO, uh, chartered engineer by profession. I'm a chartered mechanical engineer, building service engineer and energy engineer. And uh, prior to uh, coming to uh, join the British Vault team, 
Um, I run the uh, the Rolton Group, which is a consultant engineering business in the built environment that specialises in high tech manufacturing and automotive facilities. And British Volt, well, British Volt is um, aiming to build the UK's first gigafactory, 30 gigawatt hours of lithium-ion battery production uh, in the northeast of uh, of England. Uh, Fascinating background. Thanks, Peter. And you obviously referred to the new gigafactory there in Northumberland. Could you give our listeners an overview of the proposed development, how many jobs are expected to be created, the level of of investment? Yes, okay. So, I mean, the the whole sort of um, lithium-ion battery manufacturing industry um, is uh, being driven by the the need for uh, battery manufacturing in the UK. Um, if you go back to um, when Ralph Speth, who was then CEO of Jaguar Land Rover, said to Theresa May, either the batteries come to the cars or the cars go to the batteries, um, UK government was listening. Um, such is the value of the battery that if you actually import a battery into the UK and put it in a vehicle and then export the vehicle, the maths don't work because the battery is so expensive, there's not enough added value left in the manufacturing process. So to get the mass to work, you need batteries as part of a local supply chain. That was, I suppose, the first sort of imperative. The second one then really was um, UKGov deciding to take 10 years off the ban on sales on internal combustion-only vehicles. So all the car manufacturers were sat there thinking, well, we got 2040. And 2040 became 2030 overnight. Well, in terms of car manufacturing and model programs and having it all laid out what they were going to do, that's a sort of tear it up, throw it in the bin and think again um, sort of time scale. And then the third thing that's really driven this um, this need has been the Brexit deal. So the rules of origin of the Brexit deal with the EU-UK 27 trade deal means you have to have this increasingly ratcheting local, um, local content, which means by the time you get to sort of 2027, it's uh, 55% uh, local um, content. And that means that you can't actually bring a battery in from abroad, from China, say, put it in a car in the Midlands, and then call that a, a UK or European manufactured vehicle. It's now a Chinese vehicle. And if you start exporting it uh, within the EU, then it's got a trade tariff on it. So the batteries are coming to the cars. That's UK Gov policy. Um, and it's also driven by the trade deal with Brexit. And we intend to be the first gigafactory at scale in the United Kingdom. No, fantastic news. And our understanding was, I think it was originally announced, it, it was likely to be in South Wales and then Lastly, it's been announced in Northumberland. Is there any reason for, for the change of region? Uh, yeah, there's lots of reasons. Um, the, the original site that was looked at in South Wales had uh, various issues in terms of being able to bring it forward quickly enough. Um, there's something like 14 gigafactory sites in Europe currently being um, considered at various stages. We want to and need to get to market as quickly as possible. Even if every single factory was built by 2030, there's still a 25% predicted shortfall in capacity. So get to market is the message and get to market quickly. Now, the site in Wales can be a gigafactory site, but not on the timeframes we're looking for. It had issues with planning, the grid connection, tenants, etc. So we came away from that and we looked for a site that was immediately deliverable. Um, it was vacant. Uh, had the right grid connection, had the right infrastructure, so we could get planning very, very quickly and get started quickly. The site in Camus in Northumberland, that is the best gigafactory site in the UK, bar any. Yeah, it's it's fascinating, isn't it? You talk about the shortfall. Wait, what would happen if there's a shortfall? You know, if the government is saying you can't uh, buy, you know, a petrol or a diesel vehicle, combustion engine, and there's a shortfall of the batteries, you know, what, what else what else can you do? We need to build these gigafactories, don't we? For the, you uh, know, we have, purely from the rules of origin. 
Yeah, so absolutely. So if, if there's um, not enough battery capacity, then, you know, the car manufacturers can't produce at the volumes that they want to produce. So, you know, it, it is, I don't want to be overdramatic. I mean, you know, you could say it's a race to save the UK car industry. That would be a bit, a bit OTT, I think. But certainly it's a race to affect the transition away from, you know, pure internal combustion to um, pure electric and, and, and hybrid vehicles. And that change is being done in what is, what is real terms, a very, very short period in terms of all the changes that they need to make with their designs and their model ranges. And then what we need to do in terms of bringing forward a factory like this at the scale of, at the scale of development. I mean, this is a you know, £2.6 billion um, investment. It's the biggest project in the Northeast since Nissan arrived in the 1980s. That's fantastic. In a previous life, Peter, I did recruitment for the automotive industry. And obviously, the industry is in its infancy. I was just wondering where you plan to recruit a skilled workforce from. So um, we're very, very keen on trying to do as much local employment as we can. This is this part of Northumberland is an area with particularly high levels of social deprivation. If we look at places like Ashington and Blythe, and you look at where they're positioned on the government scales on sort of multiple indices of social deprivation, they're quite high. They have high unemployment, and they they lack investment. So. A big part of what we want to do is to actually be able to is to offer training for local people. Okay, it's part of our conversations with the local authorities, well around the planning conditions, to maximise opportunities to get people in trained and into meaningful employment. And we're going as far as well as we're setting up something called the British Vault Future Generation Foundation, that will sit outside the main business as a charitable organisation. And the idea is to make sure there are pathways to employment for everybody. So if you think perhaps around traditional employment routes, someone perhaps coming out of school with GCSEs, perhaps even A-levels, uh, perhaps a BTEC, they might come along with the fact and say, right, okay, you've got the qualifications now to do a manufacturing, you know, um, machine operating type qualification and come to work in the, in the plant straight away. You have exec entry from universities and colleges. But the people who might turn up at our door and a lot of the people who live locally don't have what I would call minimum, you know, entry point levels of qualification, often through no fault of their own. So what our charitable foundation will do is sit in front of that and offer, you know, basic adult literacy, reading, writing, you know, arithmetic and training with a view that um, we can get people to a point of entry across then with the normal mainstream business. And that goes not only for people that haven't got basic education, but perhaps people like ex-offenders and things who, again, uh, need a second chance. Um, perhaps people from youth organisations or people that work with, with youths who are perhaps going down into the wrong choices in life. We, again, want to try and intercept some of those people. We're not going to get everybody. That'd be ma- massively and hopelessly naive. But we want to try and um, divert that sort of behaviour and people with no qualifications who perhaps feel trapped in benefits and give them the opportunity to get out of that and go through a program that gets them to the point where they can then seek employment uh, with us in the mainstream business. Uh, fascinating to hear about the foundation, which is certainly news to, to, to me. Um, final question for me. I think Joe's got a couple of others for you, Peter. How supportive are the government or have the government been in developing new gigafactors across the UK? Yeah, so UK Gov did pay attention to what was being said by the car industry, by, by Dr. Speth, and it set up a task force under the Advanced Propulsion Centre, which is based out of, but not part of Warwick Uni- University. They had financial uh, support from Bayes to look at where 
gigafactory sites could go. And the, there are, the thought is there's a minimum of four and potentially as many as eight of these needed in the UK. And that the idea there was to get sites and find those sites. So the incoming businesses that wanted to set up or move to the UK didn't then have to go and do the heavy lifting of trying to find those sites. So the idea was there's a list of sites. These are all good to go. Um, you know, pick, pick, pick the one you want. Go and do your deal and, and, and get on with it. So, um, yes, they did that. They also set up something called the Automotive Transformation Fund. Um, that's been used to develop UK, which is the UK Battery Industrialization Centre at Coventry. Um, again, and that sits in between um, your sort of R&D type work that you would do at places like the various universities or Warwick Manufacturing Centre and your scale-up facilities. So it's like the sort of pilot process type uh, lines where you could um, start to work up the product that you want to actually finally build so again so what what the uk gov has been very good at doing is curating the uh, the right sort of research and practical ecosystem that takes a big chunk of time out of of what we would need to do coming in to be a new entry battery manufacturer so we haven't got to go and you know build a lab straight away we haven't got to go and build our sort of pilot process facilities they provided those to get the industry kick-started and then they've done this work around um, site identification and also you know we've applied for a grant from the fund as well which we're waiting to hear for uh, we're quite hopeful that um, that will come to fruition as well and that will also again help help kickstart what we want to do with the factory build Incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. It must be a fun business to be part of. Just one quick on the recruitment. When we have these types of conversations normally, we're talking about fabricator, assembly worker, CNC machinist. But I guess you're going to be talking about maybe some of those, but the chemists as well, some things, some quite left field things you wouldn't necessarily associate with manufacturing. Yeah, so we've got a lot of vacancies um, in the business. Um, we have a full-time head of talent who uh, who, who deals with that. Um, when, I, when, you know, when I first started with British Volt, I was originally hired. My engineering company was hired to be their consulting engineers. I think British Volt was like four or five people, okay? Um, and it's now up to uh, well over 60. It'll be up over, you know, 100, possibly even as many as 150 by the end of the year as, as we go through that scale-up and we add all the various people into the executive positions. Um and we, yeah, we've got we've got a need for people right the way across across all aspects of what I would call the executive and management industry. If people are interested, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, it's good to hear. And I know you've mentioned these eight gigafactories. Is 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 that the number? So if you go off current projections of how many vehicles are made here in the UK, uh, would you need eight gigafactories? Clearly, it depends on the size, I suppose. I don't think it's eight at the moment. Okay, it depends on what happens with the UK car industry um, and and where the manufacturers sort of set their set their sort of target numbers. Which ones we end up doing deals within the UK? Uh, which ones we end up working with in Europe? Because of the, I think I mentioned earlier, the, the UK EU twenty seven trade zone means we can make our batteries and we can move them within that zone without tariffs and it's not just cars as well um we've got inquiries for, for, for people who want to make uh, buses okay electric buses and the other big market sector for this is going to be uh, what i would call the sort of light light um industry and com- like in commercial vehicles i mean we've all seen the army of white vans that now trot around the place delivering amazon and um you know ebay and all the other online shopping i mean that's a whole growth industry in itself um they're all going to need to go electric because they're all going to get kicked out of town centers pretty pdq so again the manufacturers recognize that 
And the batteries that you need for those sorts of vehicles are actually completely different in many respects from the vehicle you need for, you know, a domestic vehicle. The domestic vehicle spends most of its time, frankly, sat on the drive, not going anywhere very much at all. Okay. It needs a certain number of sort of charge cycles and and and, and, it, and iterations. Whereas something like a, you know, a light van or a bus, which is on the road day in, day out, that's got a different load profile, a different charging cycle profile. And, you know, what it needs in terms of the battery design is, as I say, quite different. Yeah. And in terms of funding, obviously, we've all seen the uh, arrival flotation and the, you know, incredible valuation put on that business. Is that is that something that your company may look at in the future, do you think? And what, what you know, what are the deciding factors on, on you know, floating a company? Yeah, so um, we are going through normal sort of what I would call equity fundraising, debt raising at, at various stages as we move the business along, and we have the different milestones. Like you know, we recently just purchased the uh, the site. Um, the next big one is, is is planning. The flotation piece is an interesting one. Currently, it is likely that we will go to um, the SPAC market in some in some way, shape, or form. We haven't put a direct, you know, we're not saying it's definitely on this date. And we're not at the moment even saying definitely which market it'll be because it'll be whatever's the right one at the time. But there's a lot of interest. I mean, this market sector is, is has, has shades of being, you know, the next big thing, you know, in terms of what's where investors want to go. Um, what's particularly interesting, I think, is the way now the investment market wants to see a very, very strong environmental social um, governance. I mean, Time was, you know, I think the saying used to be business is business and nothing else. Well, that's not the case anymore. Businesses now, if they want to get investment and they want to get good quality investment from major institutions, they need to demonstrate their social governance is very good. So, again, we want to build, you know, a zero carbon battery. The site we have in Camus because of its unique combination of grid connection is next to the North Sea Link to, uh, to Norway with hydropower, offshore wind. Yeah, we can. It's a unique combination of factors on that site, which means we can do this this low carbon battery, which the industry is asking us for, and investors want to see um, as well. So the investment conversation is now actually not just about money; it's about what else you're doing in your business as well. Yeah, and that's that's really positive to hear. We talk about two, four, six, eight gigafactories required. Mm. Could there potentially be more than one British Vault factory here in the UK, or is that not practical? No, ab- absolutely. Um, you know, we've got our eye on um, on on other, on other sites, and uh, if the demand is there, you know, we're very very happy to build more than one factory in the in the in the UK. The challenge is the infrastructure requirements because you know the amount of power that you need and the time it takes to bring forward those sort of grid connections, that sort of infrastructure, the planning, you know, the road networks, things like a rail connection, etc. Um, they are huge developments with a with a very very big long sort of tick box of uh, of infrastructure the uk is a pretty crowded you know country and then land value is the other challenge in the uk as well because you know employment land is very very expensive so finding the right place that you can actually put one of these and make it work economically is also not the easiest exercise Really do appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on to the show, Peter. My pleasure. And perhaps when we're up and we're building and with the projects cracking on, we'll, we'll be able to talk again. That's it. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Well, another brilliant guest. I really enjoyed learning about the UK's first Gigafactory. So a massive thank you goes out to Peter. And yes, yeah, Stuart, another good interview. Superb and fantastic to hear about the, the foundation specifically and the engagement with the next generation of engineers and battery manufacturers. Fantastic. 
If you want to appear on the podcast, please do drop us an email. It's podcast at mtdmfg. It'd be great to have be great to have you on, whether you're an SME or a large manufacturer. And also download the app, the MTD MFG app. It's available in all the app stores and there's exclusive content that you can't see elsewhere. But yeah, back on with the news. Packaging manufacturer DS Smith has announced a hundred million investment. Yes, the FETSA 100 packaging manufacturer is investing £100 million, as you say, to accelerate its work in the, in the circular economy. The increased investment underpins the firm's sustainability strategy, which pledges to offer all customers 100% re- recyclable packaging within two years and replace, would you believe, a billion pieces of supermarket and e-commerce plastic by 2025. So very ambitious. The programme comprises seven projects, including accelerated investment in new materials to replace plastic, New trials on strengthening natural paper fibres to optimise materials in box design and manufacturing. And possibly most excitingly, the creation of Unit 17, a new prototyping and testing facility in the UK to develop breakthrough innovations. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic, isn't it? Absolutely. No, it's really good. The matter packaging you know, that, that we see now from Amazon deliveries and what have you, it's really important we get sustainability. But another good one, um, Young Seafood, they're creating more than 400 jobs. And I must admit, I did hear about this last week, but I, something, I thought there was something really fishy about the story, so I thought I'd wait for this week. Great pun, Joe. Yeah, so from packaging to fish, uh, we get around. Um, so, yeah, the food manufacturer, which produces frozen, fresh and chilled seafood, supplying approximately 40% of all the fish eaten in the UK, is looking for more than 400 new recruits across a variety of roles in Grimsby, where it's already the town's biggest employer. The recruitment has been driven by an increased demand for Young's products and is expected to take the firm's headcount in the region from 2,500 to 3,000 by the end of this year. As many as that, wow. We've just had Peter on from British Vault talking about the future of you know the UK car automotive manufacturers. Bentley Motors, Aston Martin are very much here and now. More great news from both companies. Yeah, we, we've done a couple of updates um, in recent podcasts about the automotive sector, and it's certainly going the right uh, the right strategy. Um, so Aston Martin reported better than expected sales for the first quarter. Sales to deal- dealers more than doubled to 1,253 vehicles, including 746 DBXs built at the British Marks New Factory in St. Athens. And, Brick- and Bentley Motors has recorded the best first quarter sales in its 102-year history. British Mark sold well over 3,000 cars in quarter one, 40% higher than last year. And it's now building 85 cars a day in crew to meet record global demand. And that's its joint highest ever output. It's incredible, isn't it? I don't know where they all go sometimes. I know they export a lot, but it's just incredible. But next story, uh, historic car manufacturer Bristol. They've announced a new vehicle, the, the Buccaneer. Yeah, great story to end it. We've seen the rebirth of quite a number of manufacturers in recent times, and this is the latest one. So Bristol Cars, the rebirth is now official. A series of continuation cars and a new battery electric model is on the cards in the coming years. British Mark entered liquidation last year, 75 years after it's founded. But now Essex-based investment property developer Jason Wharton has acquired the IP rights to Bristol Cars and plans to transform it into, quote, the leading British electric vehicle company by 2026. So it's uh, very ambitious and all the rest to, to Jason and the team. Yeah, absolutely. Very, uh, very ambitious indeed. But that's the end of the podcast this week. We do have lots more news, but go to our website, mtdmfg.com, as well as uh, Jefferson and MTD's uh, social media platforms. There's lots of good news being released daily. So please, please do take a look. Thank you for listening. If you want to appear on the podcast, 
It's podcast at mtdmfg.com. And Stuart, as always, thank you to you. Thanks, Joe. Great week. Yep. And uh, thanks to Peter from British Vault. Fascinating interview on where the UK manufacturing sector is going in terms of the automotive. And most importantly, thank you for your time at home. Thanks for listening. We will see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Great British Manufacturing Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and a review. You can find us on Twitter using at MTDMFG and at Jefferson underscore MFG.